Ron, animal experts here. It's like Animal Kingdom Day. Uh, 24 hours not in my house. I got a fly spotter that's like really good. They got 15 minutes if they show up in, in my spot. So good morning. Welcome to Jericho Road Church. Glad you're here. Let's shout out together. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. May that always be the prayer and the echo of your heart. I hope that's just true, not just a mantra that we shout out occasionally. So uh, welcome to church. Uh, our, I mean, my favorite day, but it's our day to refocus, reset, and just rest in the Lord and, and uh, be around some amazing Christians as we uh, enjoy Him. We're currently going through verse by verse through the book of 2 Peter, and uh, we've said the overarching theme for 2 Peter that we're looking at is true knowledge. And so today, Peter is going to begin to build a case for the reliability and the trustworthiness of the things that he is claiming to be true. So uh, he's going to tell us that not only should we believe they're true, but there's reason to believe they're true, and he's going to give three reasons. One will be an eye account, people who witnessed the thing. There'll be God proclamations, which testify to the truth of something, and there'll be a prophetic proclamation that testifies to the truth of something. And so uh, we'll see those three this morning. So we're going to pick up this thought in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 is where we're going to begin. But I want to give a quick recap of last week, because if you're anything like me, if I said, what was last week about? You'll freeze and like not know exactly. So last week, Peter had just written about our precious faith that we had, about the power of God available for believers. He, he wrote about the abundance of grace and peace that comes through Jesus Christ, the hope of our now and our eternity. And so that's what he was just talking about, these, like, these beautiful things. If you've been at church any, at any amount of time, you've heard them multiple times. God's grace for us. Jesus is love and sacrifice so that you can become a child of God. And he was just talking about those things. And so we're going to pick up 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. And he says this, after he had said all those beautiful things, he says, so I will always remind you of these things even though you know them, and even though you're firmly established in the truth that you you now have. Now, this verse is exactly, I think, where most of our church is. Most of you this morning, I think, find yourself here, that you're solid, well-informed believers, that you're firmly established in your faith. I think that's, that's true, not for everybody, because we have some newer believers here, but for the most part, our church finds themselves right in this church. I mean, right in this verse, which is fantastic. And that's where the people that Peter was writing to found themselves. So before I get into a note about this, a quick sort of side note, where he says established in the truth is really cool because in the Greek word, this could be established or strengthened. And Jesus used this word when he was talking to Peter when Jesus was still alive, uh, before Jesus was crucified. And it was in that time when Jesus told Peter that, hey, Peter, you're going to betray me. You're going to turn against me, but don't worry. God's got you. And then when you turn back, Jesus tells him, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers or establish your brothers. And this verse is the fulfillment of that thing that Jesus said would happen for Peter. He said, you're going to deny me. You're going to turn away from me, but don't worry. You're going to be someone who strengthens and establishes your brothers. And then here now he's saying that as a past statement fact about these people that Peter's been ministering to. He says, you're established in your faith. So Peter's fulfilled the thing that Jesus asked him to do. 
so he would establish and strengthen them, and us also by reminding us of the fundamentals of the Christian life. As your pastor, much of what I do is to remind you of things that you already know. Now, this isn't bad, and it's not redundant in the negative sense of redundancy, and it's certainly not meaningless. Rather, it's critical. Because the lies of the enemy, they pile up slowly all week long. So it's critical for your soul that you get here on Sundays and you experience a reminder. Worship is a reminder of our connection and our experience with God. And we do worship. Communion is a reminder of Jesus' great love for each of you that he demonstrated by, by sacrificing his own body so that you might live. Giving reminds us of God's faithfulness. The highlights portion of our service is a reminder of opportunities to connect and grow with fellow believers. The message here is a reminder of God's word and his desire for you to move towards him. Fellowship before and after the church is a reminder that we are not alone, that there are other amazing folks walking on this spiritual journey with us. So Sunday is a critical truth reminder for our hearts, and it's a reset for our spiritual compass, and we need that regularly. Because the enemy is the master at lying just a little. Just a little. You get off one degree on your path, the enemy wants to get you off just one degree like not a lot, just a, just a one degree, there's 360 degrees. The enemy knows that, that those of you that are in this church are not likely to turn away from God 180 degrees and go the other way. In fact, you're not likely to take a right turn hard away from God where you just sort of reject him or ignore him. That is not the position you find yourself in. But, but one degree, hmm, Satan knows that. Satan knows that he's not going to turn you 180 away, away from God. And so knowing that, he's smart. He says, well, how about one degree? One degree off from LAX traveling to Seoul, South Korea, some of the folks' motherland here. If I, my wife and I, we jump on that plane, we go to Seoul, South Korea, it's one degree off. I get out of the plane and I find myself immediately arrested because I have landed in Pyongyang, North Korea by one degree off off. One degree off from LAX to your shopping splurge in Milan, Italy. You're in Liechtenstein instead. And I don't even know what's there, but by the name it doesn't sound good. <laughs> I do know what's there, and it's actually one of the richest nations on the world, so that's probably not too bad to land there. But, but you're not in Italy, right? You're in a fully different country. One degree matters. And so getting reminded and recalibrating matters. It resets our true north, recalibrating our internal God compass. And in light of what's at stake, eternal destiny, spiritual matters, the Apostle Peter considers it worthwhile to go over these ideas again and again. He says, I don't mind reminding you, it's actually good for your faith. We had our fall kickoff last week, and a bunch of folks were we're doing that uh, drafting in, for fantasy football. And I, I thought that was so cool. I, I actually just loved that moment where there were these uh, adult men getting giddy with like, like it was so fun. Like, I don't know. I, I like football okay. I've never played the fantasy football, but 
But I loved watching them. I loved that they were sitting here drafting people or whatever. And, and I, I think probably Patrick Mahomes went pretty high on that list. He's an he's a okay quarterback in the, in the, uh, in the NFL. And I, I, so I was thinking about Patrick Mahomes and football and that kind of stuff. And, and I want you to imagine something with me. So imagine Patrick Mahomes shows up to minicamp. So they get a little break after the season, and they have to come back to minicamp before practices. So imagine he shows up at minicamp, and then uh, the coaches bring him all in a room. They sit him down. They say, okay, let's go over the playbook. I, I don't know how this works. I've never been in one of those things. But, you know, they go over the playbook once or twice, and then the coach is like, okay, team, bring it in. You know, one, two, three, team. One, two, three, team. I say, okay, uh, we'll see you at the first game. Make sure to be there 15 or 30 minutes early for some pictures, and they do that anthem thing. And so, okay, so we'll see you all then. Guy, all right, have a good one. Like, that's not how it works, right? Patrick Mahone shows up, and, and, uh, and I, don't, I don't know how many times, but I know it's just not one or two times that he's thrown to the receivers. And I don't know how many times. But I know that he's in the weight room constantly. I know that, that he's going through his reps and his progressions. I know that he's not only memorized the plays, but he's walking through the plays over and over and over with his receivers and his running backs and his line. Why? Like, he knows the plays already. He knows how to throw the football, clearly. I mean, he got drafted, so he already knows those things. Why does he, why does he do it over and over? Why does he come back and have practice? Why does he come back and go through the reps? Why does he come back and, and, and hit the machine? Why does he come back and, and throw a 1,000 balls a week? Because repetition of the fundamentals is how he stays sharp, how he keeps his championship form. Repetition of the fundamentals. And for this reason, Christians, we too should never get tired of hearing the fundamentals of the Christian life. And when we hear them, we should rejoice every time Jesus Christ is, is talked about in the gospel and his plan for our life. We, could, we need to rejoice because repetition, regular repetition, builds us into championship, Christ-like form. And so Peter says this, I think it's right to refresh your memory in the next verse. I think it's right to refresh your memory as, as long as I live in the, this tent of the body because I, I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So Peter tells them, that it's important to refresh our memory since our time here on earth is limited. The older I get, the, the more I realize how true this reality is. And it causes me to reevaluate how I spend my time and my energy and my resources. And I find that as I think about it, it's more and more important to spend my time and energy and resources on things that are essential, not things that are like peripheral. I checked on Amazon this week for tent prices because Paul mentions this body is like a tent. The cheapest tent I could find on Amazon was this bad boy, $3.51. That's an emergency tent right there. That's the cheapest one I could find on Amazon. Uh, I made sure to see a print where I found it from in case you don't believe me after lying to you the three times in the first message that I gave to you. But I'm trying not to lie. Okay, so imagine that tent gets a rip in the side of it. Would you spend $150 to fix this tent? No, that'd be dumb. So then I Googled, what's more permanent? I don't live in a tent. I actually live in a house. No, I don't own the house. I actually rent the house. But, but so I was wondering, I wonder 
what the current prices in my neighborhood is. Well, what's the cost of a home in my neighborhood? And so I Googled it, and there were two homes available. I picked the cheaper one. The cheapest home available in my neighborhood is $1.298 million. <laughs> I know I'm balling, huh? <laughs> I was like, I'm so rich, but I don't know that I, I rent my house. Now, if the wall of that house got a tear in it, I darn well would spend $150 to, sp to fix the, the wall. Why? Because that's a permanent dwelling, and it's valuable, and I, and I live in the thing. It's not a temporary place. So we would spend our hard-earned money on the thing that's permanent. So Peter considered his body and this life no more than a temporary tent. He's like, this life is like that orange thing. But do you know what the $1.298 million building in your life is? It's eternal life. It's heaven. It's God thing. Church history tells us that Peter died a martyr in, 90, uh, in 68 AD, which is within three years of writing this to the people that he was writing. So with, when this, he said, hey, my time is short. I know it's not going to be long. It, it literally wasn't. It was within three years that he, that he was... Uh, killed for Jesus. And so I would say, sure, take care of your temporary tent, but only as a temporary tent. Don't invest large amount of time and resources precisely because it's just temporary. But our permanent, true home, heaven, and God is a much better investment of our, of our time and resources. And so make sure that we're spending the proper amount on the proper dwelling. He continues on. He says, For we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we are actually eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter solemnly declared that the testimony of the apostles, a testimony which would cause them to have to endure torture and ultimately give their lives for, was not based on clever stories or half-truths, but on what they actually saw. And Peter knows this because like he's, Apostle Peter, the one writing this, is the one that can say in the first person, I know that this is true because I was there. I walked with Jesus. I ate with Jesus. I saw when he was crucified. I saw when he was resurrected. I was there. I'm literally an eyewitness of it. It's not some fabrication or a made-up story. It's literal. It's really true. The word stories in this verse translates the ancient Greek word mythos. Some people think the Gospels and the biblical record are just ancient myths. Maybe they admire them for the power of a myth. But Peter rightly insists this isn't a myth. It's not a religious story. It's not a spiritual anecdote. He said, this is reality. I saw Jesus. I saw him get killed. I, I was there when he was arrested, and then I wasn't because I dipped, and then I, was, I tried to go back, and then, then I denied him. And then I, was, I, was, I saw where he was. You know? I was literally there when these things happened. It isn't, it isn't a spiritual story. It's not a metaphor. It's not something that's half truth. It, it's real I was there. And we can reliably reconstruct historical events from the testimony of the eyewitnesses, who must be and have been examined for their truthfulness. From the moment the apostles started to talk about this stuff, 
people are like, whoa, 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 let's check it out. Let's verify if this is true. Let's see if they're reliable. The apostles and the writers of the New Testament have been checked for centuries and over and over have been found to be truthful and actual in the facts of the things that happened, the things that they experienced. So solid eyewitness testimony is a critical piece to true knowledge. Peter then highlights one example of something that he witnessed. He says, here's something that I witnessed. He, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on on the sacred mountain. So of all the things Peter Peter could mention, he's talking about like, oh, I'm an eyewitness of Jesus. This is the one he comes back to. This is the one that's sort of stuck in his heart. This is the one he wanted to tell or remind the people of. Now, this is referencing a time when Peter, James, and John, they went up on this mountain with Jesus, and then Jesus was like transfigured, it's called, or transformed. All of a sudden, he started to glow and be like glorious. And then Moses and Elijah, who'd been dead for 1,500 and 800 years respectively, they appear on this mountain, and they're like, dude, Moses and Elijah here. And then out of this, this voice of God the Father speaks, and he speaks that phrase that's quoted here, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And so he's recounting this event to them here, that, that uh, Jesus is shining like sun. He appears in like his glorified body, which is the future glorified, because he, he's still on earth, and he just they get this a glimpse of the magnificent Jesus, and it shines like sun, and they're like, and then goes back to their regular lives. At the transfiguration, God the Father spoke from heaven declare that his, to declare his approval of God the Son, testifying to the truth and the veracity of Jesus. So here we have Peter saying, hey, this stuff is true not just because I witnessed it, but also because God the Father speaks it's true. When he talks of Jesus, he said, that's my son. I'm pleased with the things that he's saying. When Jesus is claiming to be the only way, the truth, and life, God says, I'm pleased with that. That's correct. When Jesus says that that, uh, no one can come to the Father except through me, when Jesus says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, these things are true. God is verifying it. And so God's proclamation is that Jesus is who he says he is. Here is God commending Jesus for what he's teaching and who he is. God's declaration are another critical part of finding true knowledge. Then he continues, we also have prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you'd do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in the dark, in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So Peter's experience at the transfiguration was amazing. But the testimony of God's word about Jesus beforehand was even more sure than Peter's personal experience. He said, yes, I have an experience. Yes, I witness it. Yes, God declare it. But you know what? God said ahead of time what is going to happen. Prophecy speaks to the reality of the truth that we're talking about. Prophecy is just truth revealed beforehand. I came up with that phrase. I thought it was like super biblical sounding and could put it in a commentary. I didn't even read that anywhere. Prophecy is truth revealed 
beforehand. Doesn't that sound super smart? That was like so cool. That was like my favorite part. I'm almost done here. Prophecy is just the truth. Just God says it's coming. The fulfillment of a prophetic word is certain and reliable testimony of the truth of scriptures. So we, we believe the scriptures are true. We believe Jesus is true for these reasons. Eyewitness, God's commendation. But it was foretold what was going to happen. Really specifically, depending on uh, which Bible scholar you like, the low end of Bible scholars, 200 specific Jesus prophecy. The high end of Bible scholars have it around 600 specific Old Testament biblical prophecies of the coming Messiah. Where comes out of Bethlehem, is raised in Nazareth, you know, somehow comes out of Egypt. These things that are really specific. The timing, the place, the where, the who of this Messiah. And those were all truths that were told beforehand and ultimately come to pass. So prophecy is a critical piece in true knowledge. So eyewitness testimony that's true and, and valid. God's commendation, and prophecy. Next section says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So even in Peter's day, uh, enemies of Jesus would try to twist the Old Testament prophecy and say that it wasn't him, giving maybe a personal or bizarre meaning, attempting to sort of exclude Jesus from their fulfillment. But Peter says that prophecy, it's not a private interpretation. The prophecy is not uh, for the prophet by the prophet. It's not fupu, right? It's like, it's not for them by them, but rather it's it's verifiable by those that are outside of the prophecy. The prophecy isn't coming for them for their benefit. And then those that are listening to the prophecy, the Bible also tells us to test every prophecy to hold fast those which are true, test all the spirits anyway. And so Peter says that prophecy is not that private interpretation. Rather, its meaning is clear and evident and be, can be confirmed by others. Moved by the Holy Spirit, prophecy comes through holy men of God but not from holy men of God. The ancient Greek word uh, translated here, carried along, has the sense of uh, like a ship on the sea with a, with a sail and the currents and the wind moving that ship along. It's as if the writers of scriptures raised their spiritual sail and the Holy Spirit came along and guided them along as they were writing or as they were giving God's word, both in the Old Testament and the New. Now, we don't know how that happened specifically. I don't know at what level of intervention was the Spirit telling them which words to say specifically, or was he guiding their heart and minds? There's a little bit of fun debate about this, but, but it isn't discussed here. Rather, only that the Holy Spirit is the core of all biblically accurate God prophecy. So when we start to think about it, trusting the truth of Jesus isn't just about one proof or one single piece of information. It's not about my personal experience, though those are important. A piece of information here, another there, one here, from one there, one there, and an experience that I have, the movement of God, prophecy, eyewitness, these kind of stuff, and it starts to stack up so that we can come to this place where we have true knowledge. It's all those kind of things. It's, 
It's eyewitness testimony experienced by men in their interaction with Jesus Christ, as Peter was saying. Jesus, God the Son. It's truth confirmed by declarations from God the Father. It's truth fulfilled in prophecy by God the Spirit. And we stand on this truth. We here, 2,000 years later, stand on this truth. We don't follow myths. This is really important because I think nowadays it's really popular to say things like, oh yeah, like all the spiritual uh, religions have the same core. They all, they're all based on the same mythos. <laughs> they all come from the same sort of place. But Peter was adamant that that isn't the case. It's not a story. We don't follow myths. Your faith in Christ and your belief in God and the Bible, they're not silly or superstitious. It isn't flimsy or untried. Rather, Christianity has been tested and reviewed. It's been inspected and dissected for 2,000 years and at every turn in every generation has remained reliable and trustworthy. We are following true knowledge. And that's really comfortable in a time when it's really hard to sometimes discern what's true. In a time when there's a million voices, whether it's from Instagram stories or TikTok or, or uh, TikTok, and I don't have that one, <laughs> whether it's from Joe Rogan or Glenn Beck or, or whomever, Trevor Noah, there's a billion different voices trying to say different stuff, trying to tell you about different things, and the truth matters. And I want to encourage you folks that you are walking in the truth. Never never allow the enemy to steal that security from your heart. Don't allow the enemy to have some stupid TikTok or some random person rant cause you to have doubt when you're the one holding true knowledge. You're the one holding this thing that's been tested over and over, has been testified by eyewitnesses, it's been proclaimed by God, and has been verified through prophecy. So let's close by following Jesus' words. In, in John 4, 24, he says, God is spirit, and his worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And we get to have both as we close the service this morning.